I'm your host, Lee, and welcome to The Misunderstood Lawyer, a show where we listen to the stories of real attorneys and hopefully provide you with some useful insights into the real world of practicing law that might help you on the road to becoming yet another misunderstood lawyer. Introduce yourself. Okay, I can do that. My name is Kelly McGee. I am I'm a trial lawyer. Um, I do primarily construction defense, I guess you'd call it. I represent construction companies and landowners and building owners in New York City. And I've been doing this type of work for just about 19 years. Oh, wow. Yes. That's much longer than I thought it was. (laughs) I can't believe it either. So what is it like being a trial attorney? Is it, you know, just can you walk us through what it's like to actually do a a trial? Oh, sure. Um, Well, to answer your question quickly, what it's like to be a trial attorney, Attorney, it's it's challenging and stressful, but I think you'd find that in any uh, any special anything anything that you specialize within the profession, there's going to be challenges if it's worthwhile. So my challenge might be different than your challenge. My challenge is you know sweating through the uh, the risks of not knowing how a judge is going to rule or how a jury is going to find a case. Um, so yeah, it's challenging, it's stressful, it's probably aging me faster than you know if I would would have chosen a different profession. But, you know, there's nothing like it, in my opinion. But, but not what, everyone agrees with me. what do you mean me. by that? What do you mean there's nothing like it? Is I it- love that rush. I kind of like, I kind of, I kind of, um love the stress in a weird way um, and I love the performance aspect of a trial I love the process of a trial uh, there's a lot of things I really love about it and of course there's a lot of things that drive me crazy about it but you know there's good and bad in all things so what's the performance aspect of it the performance aspect is getting up and talking in front of these people these people who have no idea who you are where you come from they usually dislike you because and I'm assuming you're talking with a jury now yeah, yeah. I am a defense attorney and always have been a defense attorney so um, we as a defense attorney usually have an uphill battle because you know plaintiff goes first plaintiff puts on their case plaintiff is sympathetic plaintiff is just usually some construction worker guy who got really injured and has kids at home and all that stuff and I'm this big money-making construction company or this big New York City you know building owner Um, so it's an uphill battle usually as a defendant so the performance aspect is getting in front of these people, the jurors, trying to get a feel for who they are, how they're reacting to you. I'm not going to say trying to make them like you, but definitely trying to keep their interests, um, keep them listening to you, and I'm going to say that again, keep them listening to you. Um, the reason I say it twice is because I think I think I read somewhere once human beings have like the attention their attention span is like what thirty seconds or something like there's people people listening to this are right now not paying attention to me because they <laughs> they'll they'll pick it back up in the next thirty seconds but generally you want to feed information to people in like thirty it sounds crazy but like in thirty second increments like sound bites yeah sound bites so you want them to keep listening to you because if you get up there and you start droning on about something technical or something very like heavily construction related that they can't visualize or something like that, you're going to lose them. They're not going to like you and they're not going to like your client. So the performance aspect is that, like creating 
almost a script that is dynamic and interesting and keeps the attention of a jury. And when you're, and so when you get dropped into a trial, or you, you know you had to start one from the very beginning, there's a moment when the trial actually starts, and you start picking the jury from that point where the trial is actually set, and you show up for the first day. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, full on? Do you do you eat, sleep, and oh yeah, breathe it? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you wake up in the middle of the night with a nightmare, thinking that oh hey, this is a great question, and yeah. or are you unable to sleep? I have to say. You're describing it pretty accurately. I can sleep just because I'm so exhausted at the end of the day. But um, you really can't do much else in your life when you're on trial. There's no like keeping up with your hobbies or like say for example, I do yoga. If I want to do yoga, I'm getting up at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning if I really, really insist on carving that time out for myself. There, there's just really no time for anything else in your life. Like, it's, it's important, I think, to either do this type of work when you're very young, and like I said, like, and you could just kind of like grab a slice of pizza or something for dinner, you know what I mean? Or if you're doing it when you're older and have, you know, your domestic obligations, as I call them, it's nice to have a support system at home, like for instance, my husband, when I'm on trial, will definitely, you know, be the dad who's picking up the kids from their sporting events, and he'll make sure dinner's ready, and he'll make sure the kids, uh, you know, they're ready to go to school the next day, because I'm pretty much MIA at home. It's it's unfortunate, but it's true, and thankfully, it's not constant. That's not how my practice runs on a normal basis. A trial usually happens, you know, once every few months, tops. I was raised by wolves. I mean, God bless them, but they were just way too busy with, I had, you know, lots of other siblings and my parents had full-time jobs and crazy life. And I had virtually no guidance whatsoever from my parents on um, on what to do with my life other than my dad. I guess he was kind of old school. He wanted me to be a nurse, which to this day, I can't even look at a Band-Aid, like a, a used Band-Aid, like sometimes you see on the sidewalk or something, I gag. Even my own kids, I can't. I, I just, I could never, ever, possibly ever be a nurse. Never. But that's what he wanted for me. I think that's, you know, it's just an old school ideal. Another thing is um, I was the first McGee, the first child of all of my family, extended family as well, to even step foot on a college campus. So my dad was like, you have to go to college, you have to go to college, but that was really the only guidance that I got from anybody. So I just kinda realized when high school was over, just as a little side note, I was a I was a captain of the cheerleading team, and we were like national champs. So I was oh my I gosh. was very busy with that kind of fun, awesome you know stuff. I can't even do a cartwheel. <laughs> I got laughed out of cheerleading tryouts because they asked me to do a cartwheel and a backflip. And suffice to say, my idea of a cartwheel is a four-year-old's idea yeah. of a cartwheel, <laughs> and it was just yeah. you know they were very um, polite to my face, but you. Yeah. Could See, yeah. you can see the mockery. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not a, uh, it's not easy. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of athleticism, a lot of gymnastics. My wrist, I still have a kind of a creaky wrist from all that. So because I, I was, it sounds so silly, but I was pretty successful in that. So when high school was over, um, I was getting lots of job offers to be like a coach, and I did some, um, you know, some judging of, uh, you know, local competition, 
students. I ran some clinics uh, for local schools for their for their cheerleaders to teach them how to do like um, stunt safety and this kind of stuff. And I was really enjoying that, but I was being paid like literally nothing. Or sometimes they would give me like a sweatshirt. <laughs> that, that's the ultimate dream of any college grad to be paid in sweatshirts. Then at one point, I was actually offered a job at a um, a really decent high school by me. Um, they wanted me to be their cheerleading coach, but they wanted me to take their cheerleading team, which was like a regular average team, and make them into a competition team, which would require a lot of time. Um, but the salary that they offered me was something like, you know, $16,000 a year or something. <laughs> so I remember coming home um, and telling my dad, oh, dad, I was offered a job. And he was reading the paper at the kitchen table and he had his cup of coffee there and he didn't even look, look up at me. He was just like turning the pages of the paper and he goes, so we're done with this cheerleading now, are we? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I guess so. Now I realize I probably could have had some kind of great scholarship or some, you know, yeah, I, I just had a terrible guidance counselor and like I said, no guidance. So anyway, so um, I did actually wind up getting myself into college, a decent one actually. I went to um, SUNY Stony Brook on Long Island. I stayed local for everything. I just, I don't know why, I just didn't go away to college and that's probably one of my bigger regrets in life. I wish I would have gone out of state and lived on campus and had a dorm and I didn't do any of that. I just stayed local and I always worked. Um, work, work, work. That was always an important thing in my family. And, and what did you major in college? In college, I was a psych major. I thought I was going to be, uh, well, let me let me back up. My first major was archaeology. No! <laughs> yeah, so we have a common thread, yeah. Indiana we Jones, kit, yeah. Indiana Jones. So my first major was archaeology. I thought I was going to be, like, digging up bones and finding dinosaurs until, like, first semester I was, you know, smarter than you think. I realized immediately, like, no, like, no government is going to, like, pay me money to go on some grant to, like, dig up, you know, whatever. So They will pay you, but it would be that $16,000 yeah. exactly. the cheerleading, right, right. The yeah, cheerleading yeah. position was going to give you. Yeah. So um, even though I was doing well with that major, I just realized like the, the um, job market probably wouldn't be too open for me. So I wound up switching to psychology. And I really was thinking for a while there that I would be some kind of psychologist or psychotherapist or something in that area. So um, now this is, this is an interesting thing. I had never thought about law or law school or anything like that. But in my final year of college, I had to do um, I had to do a, uh, an experiment, and my experiment was this, which is interesting. My experiment was I had a bunch of people watch a video, a video that I created. My experiment tested the validity of eyewitness testimony. I created a scene, and the scene was actually a child being taken from a. Um, from a playground. And th this child was removed from the playground from an adult. That adult happened to be wearing big, gigantic, fuzzy slippers and a, one of those big, like, um, ridiculous cowboy hats that's made of, like, a sponge, you know, that, that big, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like, ridiculous. But then I added uh, persuasive questioning. In my questions, I asked, um, did you see the blue car? And inevitably, everyone said yes to that question where there was no blue car anywhere on the video. So, so I was kind of thinking about the law before I realized I was thinking about the law. So then I started exploring other things and I was thinking about being like an occupational therapist and anyway. 
at the time I had a boyfriend and every Sunday we would go to his parents' house and he had a bunch of siblings and every Sunday night I would say, all right, ideas, ideas, ideas. And I would make everyone at the table um, give me an idea as a career. <laughs> so, just to like Are get some perspective. It's yeah. just, yeah. Like, so what, what, what? <laughs> people would come up with different ideas and people came out with the funniest ideas like, you know, dog groomer and, you know, whatever. Someone said paralegal and I was like, well, wait, maybe I like that idea. Um, and the thing that made me like that idea so much was you could become certified in only eight months. So I was like, you know what? I don't. I didn't mind at that point going back to school and working. I've always had a job through all of every college and every moment of school I've ever been in. I've always had a job. So I was just going to be able to work during the day and I was going to be able to take this paralegal course, this eight-month course at night, which I did. And I became certified immediately, immediately after taking the course. Um, once I started paralegal school, I knew right away that that was for me. I knew right away. Really? It, so you? I loved it. I loved it immediately. I'm like, this is it. I love this stuff. I don't know. I don't even can't even tell you what they were teaching us as soon as we walked in. But I just knew it, it was for me. And I quit my job at the halfway house, mm -hmm. and I immediately got a job as a receptionist at like a small law firm. I started from the absolute ground level. I was answering phones. I was cleaning out closets. I was organizing their library. I was, uh, you know, organizing files. I did that as well in college. And this is this is just before the cusp of, uh, you know, Lexis and Westlaw that came affordable for firms to have that. But so many small firms had their own independent libraries yeah. and a lot of interns were tasked with supplementing them. Yeah, yeah. Yes, supplementing them. So you would get these little booklets mm -hmm. of that would be the latest and greatest of this. And you would go and painstakingly uh -huh. every single volume yeah. and, and put so it in. Paralegal certification. Mm -hmm. Well, while I was in paralegal school, I was working as a receptionist. Okay, so once you got the paralegal certification, then you became a paralegal. Mm -hmm. okay. And then I went to that. My first job was on Long Island. That reception job was on Long Island. Then my I I wanted a job right away as soon as I became a paralegal. Like I didn't want to waste a minute for some reason. <laughs> I was just like, I gotta go, gotta go. Um, so I got a job. Uh, at, a, at, a, at a big firm, it was in Brooklyn, and I became a paralegal, and I was working as a paralegal for some trial lawyers, and I was like, you know, putting together their trial books and helping them out and that kind of stuff. And somehow during that time, I decided to go to law school. Um, I kind of like looked around, not no disrespect to the guys that I was working with, but I kind of looked around and thought to myself, I could do this too. Yep. Went at night because I was working, of course, full time during the day. So what law school did you choose? I went to Toro Law School on Long Island. Once again, I stayed local um, to where I grew up. And also I chose Toro because I'll be honest with you, I've, I was paying, I, I paid, and I'm still paying, for every single moment of college and law school that I've ever attended. So I had no support, no help, and lots of loans. So um, Toro was not as pricey as some of the other schools that were options for me, and I wanted to stay local. I didn't want to have to move. I liked my job. So that's where I went. I mean, I say it like Toro wasn't great. It was. It was perfect for me. It was a small school. They had a wonderful night program. 
program. I met really fantastic people that I still keep in touch with. One of them is my best, one of my, she is my best friend. We're still friends. We met in law school. Um, we were in a study group together. Uh, I, fi- I found that the study group is an absolute necessity, especially for night students. Um, you need the support. You need that those anchors um, and you need someone to help you with that reading I'm going to be honest with you you know if you're working full time and you go to law school at night it's virtually impossible to do every single ounce of reading that they want you to do so we had a we had a team we had a group and we had a whole process and it was awesome and I probably would have never made it without them so did y'all split up the mm-hmm. responsibilities of reading oh yep. that's so smart we did we did I, don't I know feel if- like any law student should do that because yeah. depression learners I don't I feel like the burden for you to read as much detracts from you actually learning that's true I don't know if it's even legal for me to for us to be talking about it though is it <laughs> Well, see, and that's the whole, and, and, and to perfectly honest, like, that's one of the whole reasons that I created Ad Hoc, and um, it's because these insider tips is that no attorney tells you about them. Nobody who's gone through law school will give you the hints. Yeah. Uh, or tricks to help you out mm-hmm. unless it's family and I didn't have anybody in family yeah. that would help me out and I found that those law students who had family members that were given these tips kept them to themselves mm-hmm. they they very competitive very closed vest and um, and I'm more about you know free knowledge dissemination to all mm-hmm. and the the trials that I went through you don't have to do that. You don't have to commit the same mistakes that I did. Right. Um, if you want to, you're more than welcome yeah. to. Um, I've had an interesting life. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I can make someone, just even one person's life easier, that's right. the whole purpose yeah. of the uh, of the project. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Work work hard, but also work smart. You right. Know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, get it done. Get it done however you can get it done. So that's what I did. Now, was uh, Toro at that time certified? It was freshly new. Yes. Oh, so it was brand new. Oh, man. They were hard on us. They were hard on us. They they wanted the grades. They wanted everyone to pass that bar exam. Get done right and then start working. <laughs> yeah, that was something that was just not an option for me. Uh, I just had to pass that bar exam. I took a leave of absence from work for that summer to study. It was probably the most miserable summer of my life. I am not a smoker. I've never been a smoker. I smoke cigarettes during the time. <laughs> it's so stressful. It was so stressful that I started smoking cigarettes. I mean, maybe one or two a day, but it was a weird thing. I don't know why, but I was just beyond stressed. Um, I, I I have a very specific way that I learn large amounts of information, which is I listen to it, I write it, mm-hmm. hand write it out, yes, and then I talk out loud to myself. Mm-hmm. So I would wander around my law school talking out loud to myself <laughs> to the point where one of the security guards was concerned about my mental health oh. and approached me. And then I had to explain to him, like, oh, no, I'm just yeah. sitting for the bar. He's like, never mind. Good yes. But he honestly thought that I was, like, it crazy does. It for makes you crazy. It, it really, does. The stress mm-hmm. is, it's tremendous. It's so much. Yeah. My way of learning is condensing everything down. So you have the information, then you make it smaller, make it smaller, until the point mm-hmm. where I had it down to just a few words on an in- index card. And I walked around everywhere. I had index cards with me everywhere I went, always. And I was and just constantly looking the, at them. The, the peeper program, yeah. it gives you those acronyms right. that were so useful. So good. So, so good. So it was just such a beautiful day when I found out that I passed that bar exam. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. What do you like about the job? 
Um, what do I like about the job? And while you think about that, I'll tell you why I'm asking. Okay. So many of, if you go online and you type in, should you go to law school, mm-hmm. you are going to come up with a hundred links of every practicing attorney saying, don't go to law school. I can't stand that. It's the worst thing ever. And and I and I understand where they're coming from because so many people go to law school for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, how your prior positions didn't really fit you, you found something that you that you yeah. love mm-hmm. and that fits you. Right. Um, I think law has to be that choice. You have to find, it has to fit you. Yeah. If it does, it'll make you miserable. Right. Yeah, so. Just the, like any job. The reason I hesitated um, is simply because my answer is so specific to me. So you you basically, you know, you know what I'm saying. I was going to say the reason, the thing I like most about my job is that I feel like I do it really well, which is kind of a weird thing to say because it sounds like I'm totally arrogant. But I think you know, I think you all know, everyone out there, there's something that you do well and, you know, and then you continue doing it and you get better and better at it and you like it. Um, that happens to be my profession. I just happen to be lucky enough to fall into a profession that I think I'm good at. Another thing I like, I really happen to enjoy my clients. Um, I work for construction companies. Uh, My dad was a construction worker. I've been around people, you know, in that type of uh, industry my whole life. So I'm comfortable with them. I like them. I learn something new every time I meet one of them. Um, I have a a huge knowledge of scaffolds and cranes and bricks and, you know, plumbing and all this other stuff that um, I wouldn't ordinarily have. Thank you so much for doing this for me. It was fantastic. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Good luck, everybody. Please take a moment to support us by rating us five stars in the Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments to themisunderstoodlawyer at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.